Alright, so Sean, tell everybody about you, what your name is, and what you do. Okay, uh, my name is Sean Gutierrez, and I have been in the fitness industry for about 15 years now. I got certified as a personal trainer when I was 20, when I was going to Cal Poly Pomona, and I started my training career there, graduated with a degree in exercise science. I ended up working at the Claremont Club for about 10 years until they closed. In my time there, I started working for what is now the perfect step, and I got into some paralysis paralysis recovery work, and that was with spinal cord injuries, cerebral palsy, CP, anything neuromuscular related. And from there, once the Claremont Club closed, I ended up following the perfect step to their new location, and there I had all my clients pretty much follow me because it was another facility to go to, and it was just an opportunity to get back into the gym with all the restrictions and things that were going on. And most recently, well, I, I had finished my master's program at the end of 2019, and I was planning on going into a career in teaching, so higher education. Mm. I did get hired recently at Mount San Antonio College, and nice. I, yeah, stoked. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, one class, I think I have two next semester, and it is in the adult teaching section, and it is education for older adults and continuing education. Very cool. Okay. And... So essentially teaching older adults about uh, balance, coordination, getting stronger, what they actually need to eat to not feel the effects of what we call sarcopenia. Okay. That's a fun term for essentially the, the loss of function, strength, vitality through the aging process. So anyways, I'm teaching that. That's the, the coursework that I'm teaching in, in different varieties. And then most recently, I actually started doing work site fitness seminars. And so I actually go to people's job site, whether that's, you know, an engineering firm or a doctor's office or whatever. And I actually talk to all of their employees essentially about what sitting does to them long-term and why they shouldn't sit so much. Uh, okay. And so it's a lecture series that I am I'm working on, uh, continuing to go through. So I've, I have a few different places already lined up for next year and a couple that I've done, but it's, it's a little bit everything in fitness. Very nice. Yeah. So I met you at the Claremont Club yes. when I was working there in college, and um, yeah, that's how I kind of, there's, there's people on here that I've had on here that I know, and there's people that I have no idea, I've never met before in my life. Yes. Um, so it's this is one where I'm just like, okay, we'll just go through, you know, stuff that I already know, and then stuff that maybe I don't know. Yeah, please but, do. Um, yeah, no, that was basically the first introduction to, you know, the, well, at the time it was called The Perfect, right? Uh, it was... Or was it Be was Perfect it is the foundation that pays for right, a right. lot of the people to go through therapy there, but it was called Project Walk at the right. time. And Project Walk was the original company that did the paralysis recovery work. Yeah. And so a bunch of us went and got certified. And after we got certified, we brought that back to the Claremont Club to be their first franchise. Uh, unfortunately, things did not go as well as it could have for Pro- Project Walk, and they became insolvent. And so it was rebranded as the perfect step and our location is now like the flagship so from our educational standpoint we are kind of the leaders in the industry there's not a whole lot of commercial based facilities like outside the medical realm like commercial based facilities that have as much knowledge that we do in spinal cord injury recovery post you know that that initial stay in the hospital once they get out of pt where do they go they come to us right so people who maybe don't know anything about that stuff. What does it, what do you guys do on a daily basis? So let's start with a, from a client's viewpoint. 
if a if a client someone goes out to let's just say Glamis and they're you know riding a, a dirt bike or whatever they get hurt they get a spinal cord injury so mm -hmm. now they go they have surgery to repair their spinal cord but unfortunately they're still damaged so sometimes it is quadriplegia where they can't move any of their limbs sometimes it's paraplegia where they can't just move their lower body and there's everything in between so they would go through have their surgery go through a assisted living physical therapy type scenario from there once pt runs out because it always does most people are left wondering where do i go to continue my recovery and so explain that real quick too why does it why does pt run out it's just the healthcare system in general uh, unfortunately yes the the healthcare system has deemed something like a spinal cord injury you're only going to get so much better so we're going to use this time to teach you how to live life in your chair and get good at it so they're essentially telling you you know this is the new normal for you and we're not going to pay for longer than you know, X number of visits. Yeah. Correct. Now in the rare occasions, sometimes people have like really good workers comp and that'll continue to pay for it for a really long period of time. But for the most part, it is not something that is ongoing paid by insurance, unfortunately. Right. right. So they come to typically people hear about be perfect, which is a foundation that helps paralysis people with paralysis. So whether that's spinal cord injury or stroke or things like that, and they say, Oh, I can get therapy paid for and I can continue to recover. So they will apply for a scholarship and then they can use that within the perfect step facility to meet with our specialists. So that go ahead. So what, you know, tell me about how you first, you know, came into contact with be perfect and how you got involved in that first. At the Claremont Club, there was, at the time when I started, a racquetball court that had been converted from a racquetball court to a little center like that. And it was for one client, and that was Hal Hargrave Jr. And it was probably a room like this. It was very small. Yes, yes. For what you were doing. Correct. And so he was the first client, and from there, he went on to start the Be Perfect Foundation because he realized that more people needed help like this. I probably started working there maybe, well, close to the same time it started, but I didn't get involved until about a year later when they were essentially going around asking some of the trainers there, would you like to get involved with something like this? It is more specialized in your training. And at the time I just, it was like, sure, I want to learn. I'd love to do more within the, the club and get more clients and help more people. So it just, it kind of made sense. Right. And the trainers there were always on the high, for people who don't maybe know, they were on the higher, you know, spectrum of, of certifications and stuff. They were a little bit more, um, I don't want to say knowledgeable, but they were, I mean, they were, they were more educated, educated more knowledgeable. Yeah. yeah. They had more experience. Had, a lot of them had degrees. Yes. Um, yes. It wasn't just a, you know, fit guy who got a certification where there's nothing wrong with that, but it wasn't necessarily, you know, for certain populations. Exactly. So yeah, a lot of people had, and, and actually to work in the perfect step or within the spinal cord injury community, you have to have a minimum of a bachelor's in exercise science. Yeah. And of course there's the certifications that you have to have in addition to it. So it is a very educated group of people that worked at the Claremont club. And I think all the trainers there were really, really knowledgeable. And so what did you have? What were you certified in at the time? So my certification was the National Strength Conditioning Association's Certified Personal Trainers Certificate. Mm -hmm. And that is what I got when I was 20. And then I graduated from Cal Poly with my degree in exercise science. And then actually finished my master's in health science from Western. But at the time, the, the certification we went through was Project Walk's version of it. It was a month long. And so it was five days a week, you know, eight, nine hours a day that we'd go through and learn safety protocols, how to program design for these populations and essentially how to troubleshoot the programs. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so you guys started this little room, the racquetball court, that was turned into a, you know, spinal cord recovery center. Yep. Essentially. <laughs> yes. It, it grew into that. <laughs> so tell me about that process. How did that, how did that grow from, 
that little room to what it is now, essentially. I think it was the community that needed it. There is a lot of individuals with spinal cord injury, and that's solely what we, we serviced initially. There's a lot of people with spinal cord injury that did not have access to personal or physical therapy, and a lot started coming, and essentially we just outgrew our space. And yeah. it was a matter of we can afford to grow bigger now, and you could see within the community at, at large that it was needed, especially in Southern California. I think Huntington Beach is like one of the highest areas of spinal cord injuries in the country. Why that is? The, the, the beach? The, the sandbars. The yeah. sandbars. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. You dive in, don't realize it's there, and, and then you're yeah, and you're hurt. Then you're going to the perfect step. Unfortunately, yeah, it's, yes. It's a, it's a, it's it's a, it's shocking, especially being around it. Mm-hmm. How many, how many there are? Because you don't, you don't really, for the person you know listening or someone who's who's just out there, you don't really think about that injury. There's a lot of people, and they're kind of just at home, in the shadow of society. Too too many are. Too many are. You know, I I had a new client on board with me here recently. And she essentially didn't leave her house for almost a year and spent most of her days in bed. And so you take what is already a debilitating injury and then you take away the social aspect, you take away just your ability to go do the things that you want to do. So people who were complaining about quarantine, right? Imagine, imagine that being your life forever. Yes. Yes. And you think places that might not be accessible. I know right. it's getting better with the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, and so people are, places are getting more accessible, but if you think about older cities or parts of LA or New York or you know these hubs that people want to go to, it's still not accessible. Yeah. And it probably, in a lot of areas, it won't be until they either get rid of the building or there's some major construction, because some of those buildings are not designed for, they're barely designed for people. Right, right. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's places in New York that are barely designed for human beings. I yeah. mean, I'll walk down these hallways sometimes in, the, in older buildings and I'm just like, were people shorter back then or were they just, were, this, this feels really small. I feel like I'm in a dollhouse. Um, it's, it's amazing. But I mean, imagine trying to be in, in a, in a wheelchair or, a, or an electric cart. Is it an electric cart? Uh, electric chair. Electric yeah. Chair. And trying to, you know, get in an elevator or get in these places that are cramped in space. And you know, it's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. It's I think challenge. there was the last time I was there, actually, there was a hotel it wasn't even an a, a old hotel. It was a newish hotel, but the, the elevator was like enough for two people. It was tiny. You couldn't get a wheelchair in there. Right. They probably had a, another, like a, like a freight elevator or something that they could use. But I was just, I, I, I could barely get my luggage in there. And it was just the weirdest experience. Because here, I'm used to things being, you know, there's so much space. Yes. And so it's, it's, it's there's those places especially, yeah, <laughs> that I have to imagine is difficult. But I mean, it's difficult anyway. Yeah, it, and, it's difficult. It's expensive. I think the the average lifetime cost of a spinal cord injury is somewhere between two and four million dollars. Yeah, and that's just to be alive. That's, and you're not you're 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 debilitated to the point where it's difficult to work. Correct. So, on top of that, you have no help really. If you have if you have no help, you are you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Yeah. And so you guys deal with more than just. You, I mean, you deal with a lot of different things, but there's a mental aspect to it that you guys go through. I know. Yeah, there is. But I think it's, at least for me personally, I can see where my clients are improving and that is really nice on my end to see. And it also, I think, is a good daily reminder for me. If I'm having a really, really rough day, it's probably not that bad. Right. Yeah. Right. And those are always, that's always a nice, you know, it's refreshing to, 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 you know, to, to remind yourself that, okay, it's not too bad. 
Right. I brushed my own teeth today. Right. Them. Right. I didn't need help getting into the, you know, into the bathtub or out of the bathtub. Yeah, just getting dressed. Getting dressed. Yeah. So when you see people, how far along in their, this is one thing I never really knew, was how far along are they in their injury when you see them? Is it really early on? Are you seeing them from? Ideally as early as possible, okay. but it depends on when they hear about us, their location, because right. we have people that visit from all over, all over the country, previously before COVID, all over the world, and however long they, it takes them to get in our facility. Ideally, if we can get them in within the first you know, year, it's, it's really nice because then they don't deteriorate as much and they have a higher likelihood of getting more back, the most back, I guess is what you could say. But some people don't start till 10 years after their injury because they didn't know, they didn't have access to it, they weren't in the area. So it really depends. Some people are, are very, like, you know, we had a girl, she got a spinal cord injury when she was five years old in a car accident, and she came to us when she was 30. Mm-hmm. And so 25 years of being in a chair, and it's, you know, getting what we can for her. So tell me about, tell, just tell for people out there who maybe don't know, what, what exactly a spinal cord injury entails? What, what is that? What does that mean when you say that? So a spinal cord injury happens to the spinal cord, which essentially comes out of your brain and drops down through your, all the vertebrae in your back. And it is the highway of what connects your body and lets it do what it wants to do. So if you want to move your arm, it's going through your spinal cord. Brain goes through the arm and you move it. And so essentially when you get a spinal cord injury, it takes some intense trauma, car accident or, or automobile accident is just the most common form of injury. And then swimming, sport injuries, things like that. So you, you damage your vertebrae hard enough to typically break it, smash it, whatever. And the bones or whatever will come through and impact the spinal cord. And it can be as little as a pinprick is enough to cause dysfunction in the spinal cord. Really? I didn't know that. So it's that, that. Yeah. I mean the tip of a pen, if it just hits you hard enough, it is going to cause some dysfunction, but you'll see that also in the level of the injury. Cause if someone has severe trauma, like a bullet wound or a stab wound or something like that, then they are going to have far less function and come back potentially depending on how damaged the spinal cord injury. Whereas if someone just has that pin prick, it might be a matter of like their balance is really off or one leg doesn't work as much as the other, or maybe just their hands. So it, it really depends on the severity of the injury, but it does not take much actual damage to the spinal cord so to if, slow things down. For everybody who, you know, who's listening, especially, so like it's that, that, that Michael, Scott, Michael Scott quote where you're kind of saying, like, explain it to me like I'm five. <laughs> so as opposed to like a broken bone, yes. explain why you can't just repair the spinal cord in the same way. The spinal cord doesn't get a lot of blood flow to it. Now there there is some, and there's some cerebrospinal fluid, and there's a lot of things that work its way into it, but your the rest of your body has a lot more stem cells and things that actually regenerate a lot easier so whether that's like muscle tissue or tissue in your gi tract or whatever the case is you get this renewal that on in a much quicker pace than you do within your spinal cord and actually in your brain you get no renewal unfortunately out of those 16 billion neurons if you lose some of them they are gone um so they they have stem cells throughout the rest of your body that help you come back faster. But unfortunately that process is absurdly sp- slow. And you spinal would need cord. to live for an insane a, amount of time. An inordinate. I, I, yeah. I've heard it likened to maybe a millimeter a year at best of recovery within the spinal cord injury. And even then I think that's being nice. Okay. Uh, it, I think it's a pretty slow process to, to get it to heal. So, you know, it's what we're doing is trying to essentially bypass that injury site and give it a new pathway because your brain has what we call neuroplasticity and so you're constantly able to make new connections which is why you're able to learn things until old age Mm -hmm. 
And we're essentially trying to teach new movement patterns to get beyond that level of injury so you can use more beyond that. So when you say you're trying to, you know, teach people new motor pathways, yes. that's essentially relearning to walk. Yes. Right? Yes. And you have a whole host of equipment. This is probably where the foundation comes in because you have a whole bunch of equipment, things that are specialized to do just that and only that, right? Yes, a lot of our stuff is adapted. Some of it is just a regular like adductor machine, but the way we use it, we adapt it to what we need to do and what's going to get the most out of it. A lot of our work initially is spent on the table and starting off really basic. If you what kind of table? Just a like a like a massage table? A, a very big massage table. Okay. So probably you know like a an eight by eight or maybe even a ten by ten depending on on the client, but it's a very large table. Yeah, eight by eight. Anyways, and we do a lot of work on there. If you think about how people learned to go all the way back to infancy and people just laid there mm -hmm. and eventually it was can i roll over can i lift my head up can i push my chest up can i get into hands and knees can i get into a kneeling position can i get into a standing position now can i walk that i'm in a standing position so a lot of our approach is fundamentally like that growth process in a person from a neurological standpoint and then we extrapolate off of what we can't do to mimic those movements with the equipment that we have Interesting. So I didn't know that. So you're, you're basically going back to square one. You're, you're, you're not trying to, you know, start them from a, a standing position where they're, you know, like you see that, you know, in, in TV and movies and different places where they're, they're like on the, on the bars, you know, and trying to walk. Yes. It's not like that at all. Um, so you're, you're taking them back to infancy and, and trying to, you know, reintroduce that. Yeah, that's, that's the best way to put it. And that really depends on the injury, though, because some individuals, have, like I said, if it barely has that pinprick of an accident or, um, or issue with the spinal cord, they might be able to walk on those parallel bars. And that's kind of what our program does. We look at where people are at and we regress it. There's you know a few phases of recovery that we have. And the first one is we're just trying to get more innervation in the area. We're trying to get those areas to reactivate to reconnect with the brain and so we'd start with really basic stuff it's kind of like if you're going to go into a regular able-bodied workout program you're not going to put 500 pounds on the bar and try and squat it you're going to start with a body weight squat and see what you can do and maybe even regress it further if you're still not ready for that and right. that's what we do with these individuals we look at where they are and then we slowly build them through our program up until they are gate training and ideally they won't need us anymore and that's, that's the whole point. We want them to get to the point where they have such an independence in their life that they don't need to come in and they'll be all right. And that's always been interesting to me because that, that, that's, that's such a mentally difficult thing to go through that you must see on a daily basis that they're, they've had their independence taken away from them, unless they've had it from a very, very young age. But in a lot of cases, they're adults and they were able-bodied, normal people, and then they just had a, a bad day. Yes. And all of their independence was just completely yeah. yanked from them. It, it's the equivalent to losing a really close family member is what they say. And so usually uh, a majority, uh, a majority more than half of these individuals typically have some major depression the first six months post-injury. And I think that's partially why it would be closer to a year that we'd end up seeing a lot of these ind individuals. The first part is like, can I get out of the hospital? Am I still mm -hmm. able to breathe on my own? And once again, there's that, that huge transition of it's, you know, and I'm not going to uh, harp on any other illnesses or whatever, but at least when you have a, a rough prognosis of, of any other illness, there's like, hey, here's what's happening to you, and here's what might continue to happen, and here's our treatment options. Whereas a spinal cord injury, it's 
hey, this happened to you now, tomorrow it's done, it's different. Like right now. You're gonna be checking out, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it is, Good luck. It, it is literally, well, it's the next day that you lose so much. Whereas every other injury, illness, things like that, there's, there's a slow progression to it where there's that time to acclimate or at least try and find a way to not let it happen. That's one thing that I always wondered that, that, you know, there, there's a, there's just a certain strength people have to go through in order to accept the news that your life has been irreversibly changed and that you're, you're now going to have to deal with a new reality and that's it. There's no chance of it you know in, 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 in that situation in a doctor's office they're saying there's no chance of getting better and here's you know here you go yes and you know a lot of the doctors of course they're just reading out of a textbook this is right. what it says in the textbook you're not going to walk you're not going to be able to do x y and z you're not going to have control it's just something of your bowel and bladder there's there's so right. many things that are they're saying are gone but what i will say too is that doctors will typically tell you even beyond the worst case scenario so in case you do get something better it is all Great. That much better. Exactly. Doctors tend to do that, which is, is probably probably good because if you tell people, well, you should be fine, you know, then they, <laughs> right. they're not, then they're going to be upset. Yes. <laughs> so that would, that's, but that would be worse, I think, for me to be told, oh, it's going to recover fine, and then you, you end up not, and it's like... You're like, when? When? You know, is it, is it, am I waiting for it? Is Help, it not? please. Yeah. So tell people about... So let's say you, you're in an accident, you're in a car accident today, and you're rushed to the hospital... And you're, you, you have a, you know, um, upper level spinal cord injury, right? And they, they get you to the point where you're discharged. What does your life look like before this program? Before this program, if you don't know anything about spinal cord injuries, which most people don't, I, before I worked in this industry, I had no idea. I, I, if I saw someone in a wheelchair, I would not know if it was from birth, if it was an accident, whatever. Yeah. So essentially you have this new illness you have to learn everything about and you don't know what resources are available to you. Insurance is not really going to be helpful in that scenario. And life is very different. So of course, if you're, if you have a high level spinal cord injury, like if you're like a C5, C6, what we'll say is the, the neck part of your spine, the top that, you know, it's, there's seven vertebrae up there and it goes into your rib vertebrae, which there's 12 and then the lumbar, which there's five. And then there's some below that. And if you're at a high level, Odds are you've lost some strength in your upper body. You've lost some, a ton of strength in your core. You've lost control of bowel, bladder, sexual function, no ability to walk around. And that is just at the onset. Not to say that some of those things can't come back, but that is what you're faced with initially. And not to mention, you need to go find PT. You need to learn how to get on a schedule for the restroom so you don't have accidents in public. So you can try and be somewhat functional on a regular basis. I think that is what keeps a lot of people home is I don't want to have an accident in public and it happens. It really does. They, they don't have the control typically and in different, different areas of the spine control different things. So, so this, this is a very complex subject that you're trying to distill down for us. Yes. I'm doing my best. Essentially the higher it is, the worse. Correct. It is correct. The more nerves are affected. If you are, you know, you see people who have a, a lower, um, like in a lower back situation, mm -hmm. it's, and we use this really, really loosely, but it's better than had you had the accident up at the top of the neck. There's in, a good possibility. In, you know, to, if all, all things general. considered equal, yes. Yeah. You will, at that point, at least you will be able to take care of your own bowel and bladder program. Right. You'll be able to transfer in and out of vehicles. And that's what we're talking about as well, which I always found really fascinating about, about this because I, same as you, I hadn't really been around it at all. I don't think really anybody is. 
um, aside from seeing a handicap stall. Yes. You're not really involved in any of that. And it's very rare that you see someone. So to me, if you're one inch down or one inch up can make a huge difference in the rest of your life. Absolutely. In terms of being able to, you know, move your hands, move your arms or, or not. Yeah. Or in some cases there's, I remember seeing people that had to, you know, use special apparatus to, to move their, their electric cart by blowing into a, a you know, yes. Uh, sip and puff straw. <laughs> a so that's someone who cannot move anything. Correct. That they got their You're neck. frozen. That's into, about it. You know, place. Yes. You have to have complete help. Right. Um, so for people who don't understand that, that's a, a good way to look at it is that if, if you have an accident happen here or an inch up, it can be a completely different experience. So these people inside of this community to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is, you know, tons of different people with different experiences because each injury is completely different from the other. Absolutely. Even at the same injury level. So if we look at your, your fifth cervical vertebrae, so it's in your neck, but towards the bottom a little bit. The same person who can have an injury there snowboarding is walking around with some crutches while the same person who has an automobile accident is in a wheelchair. And is that just because of the, the impact and, the, and the, the, the power of that you know accident? Yes, the severity of the injury makes a huge difference. And so how, how the spinal cord gets hit with the depth that it gets hit, the side that it gets hit, the front, back, I, it, it's, it changes everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a that's such a, a, a crazy, um, you know, thing that can happen to you, and and it's and a lot of these people were just living regular, normal lives, and then it was just completely turned upside down. Absolutely. And so it, with you guys, you guys incorporate kind of a, a number of things into the treatment. You incorporate physical therapy in a sense. Mm -hmm. It's a specialized physical therapy. Yep. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that first and what, what that entails and, and what kind of, what things are different from what a traditional physical therapist would do. So what makes us notably different than a typical physical therapy office is therapists are able to work and bill within a certain range of practices and exercises. And it's very hard for them to deviate from that part of the nature of, of being a doctor and working within that smaller scope and then also what insurance is willing to pay for and, and do. And what our facility does is we're essentially the next step. So physical therapy is very valuable. I'm not going to undermine anything that physical therapists do because they really are the, after the surgery and they are discharged, PTs are going to kind of set them up right. Not just physical therapists, but occupational therapists and just being able to teach someone to tell people what the difference of that is as well. Uh, so, PT is going to try and make you a little bit stronger and help with the injury itself, whereas OT, occupational therapy, they are going to help you with day-to-day -day activities, living, things like that. So they're going to try and help you more with the fine-tune, I want to be able to feed myself, I want to be able to maybe tie my own shoes or learn how to put my pants on, or I want to be able to, whatever, feed myself. And so that is going to be the, the major difference. And while we don't do a lot of OT within our own facility, the PT that they are lacking is essentially an extension of that or the next phase. The, the best way I could put it from an able-bodied population is if you got an ACL tear and you went to a PT, they are going to do all the things that they need to do after your surgery to make sure that knee is as functional as possible before they release you or before your insurance runs out. But after that, it still would behoove the individual that had that injury to seek out continuing help from a personal trainer or someone in the 
you know, that in the realm that can help them train that area after a PT at a you know different price point or whatever. And so we're essentially that next phase of recovery. So you got done with your PT and you're going to maximize what you can do there. Now let's really push you beyond what you think you can do as far as your level of injury. We're going to put you in a safe scenario, but we're going to essentially get you to that spot where you think you're going to fail. You think you're going to fall. You think you're just not going to be able to do it. And we're going to try and set you up for success so you can. So I think that is the, the biggest difference is PT is the first chunk of what someone would really need to get maybe the basics of where they got started and where the next phase of their recovery. Interesting. Okay. And so you guys essentially, you know, take the baton from them. Yes. And you're, you know, you're with them for how long? As long as they can and as long as they want and are willing. And I'm part of it too is a forward because the Be Perfect Foundation it does great work and they give scholarships and the scholarships aren't infinite because the money is not infinite, right. unfortunately. Right. And that's why it's important to get, get your guys' um, message out there as much as possible, which is yeah. why basically I wanted to have you here was because it's, it's a cool organization. So tell people about that. So How did that come about? So the Be Perfect Foundation was started by the first client at the Claremont Club and his family. And so the, the Hargrave family and a couple others started the Be Perfect Foundation to essentially improve the lives of those individuals affected by paralysis, most notably to help pay for therapy beyond what their physical therapy or insurance would pay, and to also do things like vehicle conversions, helping people get, you know, leg bags or catheters or helping people pay for new wheelchairs because you figure your wheelchair is now your legs. It wears and tears, and after a few years, you need another one. And on the cheap end, they're between four and $5,000. Yeah, on the cheap end. Yes. That's on the, crazy. And, and that's for the ones that you see people pushing themselves. The, the more advanced ones, like the sip and puff chair that we see, where an individual cannot move his arms, his legs, they actually have a straw that directs their chair. Those can run anywhere from thirty dollars to $50,000. It's like a car. It, it is essentially a it car. Is a car. Yes, it is. And, you know, a lot of advanced technology. And those technology. wear and tear as and well. The, and those so wear that's and tear. So that's not your, just because you get a more advanced one does not mean that you're done. Right. No, not at all. And there, and let's just say that you are unfortunately in that scenario where you get the sip and puff, but then you start getting function back. Now you can move your arms a little bit. You can have a little core strength and you say, you know what? I I don't want this chair anymore. I want to be able to push myself around. I want to go get that next chair down essentially to be more independent and not have this thing. And insurance can be like, Ooh, yeah, we already spent 30 grand on this chair. Good luck with your next chair. And so that's why foundations like the Be Perfect Foundation exist. So you can say, Hey, I would, you know, I want to apply for help, a grant to help pay for my wheelchair and, you know, from whatever company that may be. Right. And so, you know, that, that's, that's the thing is that this is a type of injury where there is no, um, you know, 401k that you pay into that just in case you have this massive accident, Yep. you know, there, there's very few other types of injuries or diseases or anything like that where, you know, you can technically live for a very long time. You could live to be 90, mm-hmm. but it's getting there because you have to pay for all this to go with it unless you want to lay in bed, right? which essentially has its own downsides. Um, you know, there's tons of things that would get involved with, um, you know, when I see like um, the different types of chairs or, or, or different things um, at the club, I would see, you know, just a wide range of people who, have had this journey to get there, you know, and it's such a, it's each one is unique and there's no blueprint. And you guys have kind of at least put a little bit of, of, um, 
hope to it where you, okay, here's what we can do and here's the goal we can work towards. Absolutely. As yeah. opposed to just good luck, go home. Right. No, and that's what we do a lot. And, and it's a sense of community, I think, for a lot of these individuals because, like you said earlier, you don't see a lot of people in wheelchairs around. You just don't. And so this is a place where people can go and have a shared experience and bounce ideas off each other's like, hey, I had this happen to me. What do you do in this scenario? And it, it's a really nice place to be. And I think, too, why people like to come to our facility is that we get them out of their chair. They don't stay in their wheelchair for their therapy with us. And I think that's something that more common PT would do. You're going to stay in your chair because you've got to learn to live. They're in it. essentially you know, preparing you for the life you're living Correct. versus you're trying to give them a better quality. Right. And we want to reduce the uh, potential complications for high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, all the things that comes from being sedentary and being seated. And so that, that helps in and of itself. So you're going to stay out of the hospital longer. You're going to have a less likelihood of like a urinary tract infection because that can happen because you're constantly cathing. And there's just uh, the potential for pressure sores the longer you sit in one spot. Like we're sitting here in this chair. If we're co- uncomfortable, we you kind move. of shift side to yeah, side. Right. They don't right. feel it. And you can't. You, and and, and that's, that's another thing to bring up is explain that as well. You don't feel it. You're correct. So depending on the individual, some some people might feel deep touch, light touch. Uh, some people don't feel hot, cold. It really just depends on the injury. And so when when you do have that uncomfortable spot on your sit bones that you've been sitting for a while, you usually just shift your body weight or you stretch or you move. And when you don't feel it, you don't move. And that causes pressure. So essentially where a bone sits between a harder surface like a chair and then or there's skin between bone and a chair and that causes pressure and that'll actually start wearing down the skin to the point where a wound opens up and it can get really really bad if you get an infection it gets into the bone and that, it, it does kill people and you still are not feeling it uh, correct you wouldn't feel it until i mean you might not feel it till it's in the bone and uh, you might not feel it till your body starts having reactions some people get this, other problems uh, correct yeah. and you know some sometimes People will get lucky to a certain degree that their their body will go through what we call autonomic dysreflexia. And what that means is when their body senses a noxious stimuli, uh, and not like that they feel it, but their body actually is sending those intrinsic signals of pain or whatever, even if they're not getting it. Something's wrong. Yes. You know. They might sweat. Their blood pressure will go up. They might feel faint. And so that at that point, it might be like, oh, I need to go check something. It might be something as simple as I need to use the restroom. Because if you don't have that sensation, you don't know when to go and your body's going to get backed up. And But uh, yeah, especially with injury, you'd hope that individuals would feel that, but some don't, and it, it can be fatal. Have, has anyone ever described to you what it feels like? Is there is it a lack of feeling? It depends on the injury. I've had a client who said that he constantly feels like he's walking on pins and needles, kind of like when your foot falls asleep. He said as he's walking, because he can, that's what he feels like he's walking on. And I thought to myself... So your legs have permanently fallen asleep. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's one version of someone who can move. Some people, it is nothing. Like literally you can tap, you can poke, you can pinch. And it's just not there. It's just not there. It's essentially like it's not happening. I've always wondered, that, that same question when you ask yourself, you know, what's, what's, you know, what's, what is nothing? It's like, well, what, what would, you know, if I tap myself and nothing was there, how would that feel? And I guess the answer is nothing. But you're still trying to, you're trying to understand what what that feels like right and it would be like as if my arm was that cup over here and <laughs> yeah. that's the same effect yeah yeah you know? i, I, I you can know? touch the cup and that's you're not gonna know what's happening i have no idea what's yeah. going on that's a crazy you know that that's a that's why this injury these injuries are so they're just so interesting and it's so interesting that they haven't haven't really come along with treatments <laughs> they're working on it you know uh, you it's know. complicated i know it's complicated the 
right now, I think the the big thing for that has been for a long time is they always talk about stem cell treatments, mm-hmm. and it got really it got going a lot in other countries first, and then it slowly got here. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of uh, political red tape with stem cell stuff, yeah. and then where that wasn't in other countries. But we found other ways to get stem cells out, and we've we've kind of caught up here in the country. But of course, more expensive here, so people will opt to go outside the country. What that has led to why is, is it more expensive here? Uh, unfortunately, because we don't regulate the costs of our oh, medical okay. interventions. So it's like <laughs> yes, yes, it, it's, it's. You want this? Well, you know the cost of research and development here. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. How much are you willing to pay? How much are you willing to pay? Yeah. Oh, you got a peanut allergy? Well, here's your EpiPen. It was fifty. Now it's seven hundred. Enjoy. I see you drove up in a BMW. It's going to be you know, <laughs> or vice versa. Exactly. It feels yeah. like they're they gouge. Um, that that was that that, that I heard. Uh, insulin's been a problem for a few years yes suddenly people have you know a sudden interest in it but um the idea that that you have to pay to be alive yeah is crazy to me now i you know on one hand if it's like a type 2 thing where you've you just you've destroyed your body to a point where you need to have you know i have a little less (laughs) you know oh you know i don't i don't there's not as much of that but when you're born with something right right or in, in your case, there's people who just had an act, just a complete, it was something hit them or an accident. Yeah. It was completely out of their control. Yeah. And then it's like just, you know, at the end of your hospital stay, it's like, here's your bill. That's right. And let's hope you have insurance. And a lot of times the, the insurance doesn't even cover all of it. No, it won't. You know. But when, and with these injuries, they're so intense because you figure you need all the surgeries and the PT and everything that goes into it. And. So it, it's not just a matter of like a, a night in the hospital. It's right. everything associated with and it. And I don't want to downplay something like a, you know, a kidney transplant. Right, that, right. You know, that's over mm. when you get it. <laughs> you know, there is an end date and there's that hope that, okay, if I get this and, and it's a horrible situation to be in. But in the, to me, in the scheme of things, there's an end date with that. You get it. You've you had the surgery. It's been accepted. You can live your life now. Yeah. You know, you might have to go do a couple things. There might be certain things, but you can move. You can go about your day. Yeah. These people are essentially, I don't know of any other type of program besides what you guys do, but before that, it was just kind of, okay, well, you know, your life's changed and you're going to be kind of at home. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate, but it has gotten a lot better. I mean, back in the, I'd say, 60s, 70s, uh, your shelf life was low with the spinal cord injury and, but people are living almost full and, and, lives. And now. why is that? Because that's one thing that I've heard so many times and I want you to explain that to people. It's not so much that the injury is why their shelf life was low. It's all the complications of an right. injury. So just think about the cost of just the, like if we want to go to the restroom, we go to the restroom. If they right. need to go to the restroom, um, not only do may they might need a suppository, they might need a catheter. They might need a leg bag just to, 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 Dignify yourself with the use of the restroom. It costs money. Right. And it, let's just say you ran out of catheters and you end up using an older one or you reuse one and there's bacteria on it. There's a urinary tract infection. If you don't get the medication that you need or the antibiotics, then that can go up into the kidneys and spread. And now you have bad kidneys. And so the complication of just going to the restroom can eventually kill somebody. Not to mention the pressure sores that we talked about earlier developing and going and getting infected. Just a simple thing like that can just be, that can be your under. Yes. And a lot of the times people forget you have a diaphragm that helps your lungs expand and contract and bring in air. That is also a muscle that can get paralyzed. And so breathing 
takes on secondary movers. So the, what I mean by a secondary mover is other smaller muscles that weren't really meant to help you breathe other than shallowly while you're relaxing are the ones that take over. So the neck gets tight, the traps get tight because they're actually like really contracting, trying to help you raise your chest and expand your lungs. And so pneumonia rates are higher. You get a cold, you get a flu and you can't cough and you can't expel phlegm and stuff like that. So unless you have something to suck it up or you go into, you know, ER, you know, that's how people get a pneumonia and die. It's crazy. And then there's a whole mental aspect as well where you're, you know, you might have passions and things that you do that you love. You, know, you might have a job you like or you might have hobbies that you love. You might love to do, you know, sports. And think about how the, the, there's so many people out there with the joy of going to work out or going to paint or going to play video games or anything. Yeah. And that's just taken away from you. It is. Now, what I will say, a lot of those are slowly trickling back into that population thank goodness so they actually have adapted video game controllers that they have started and where you don't actually have to use the buttons they have much bigger buttons so you can just kind of mash away or there's joysticks or whatever and so that is getting a little bit better as far as the sports there's a lot of adaptive sports festivals that are starting there's one out in la what is it called wings i'm so sad i can't remember this right now i feel really bad yes yes we'll do that <laughs> yes it uh it's a uh, los angeles city sports i believe anyway so and they do stuff all the time so if you wanted to get into archery or rugby or basketball and this is all chair based they have that option for you and the cool thing is they don't you know push you away if you're not in a chair like if you're there as a caretaker with someone they'll say yeah get in the chair you can play too oh very cool yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't discriminate against anyone <laughs> no 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 even if you got you know so it's yeah. it's really cool so i will say at least there are options but i feel like when people are newly injured they know none of that and that is i think a big part of the the injury too is there's not a centralized location for a lot of this information so that's something else that our center does is we say hey you know you can go to the christopher reeves foundation you go to the triumph foundation you can go you know uh, to these LA sports festivals where they're going to have adaptive equipment. We, you know, they have the abilities expo. There's so many things that are out there that people don't know about. So this is a way for us to be able to disseminate information to them as well. Yeah. And yeah. That's, so, that's so interesting to me. That's, I think that's also something that probably the average person doesn't know either. And when they're interacting with these people as a healthcare provider or someone, when they first had the accident, they're not able to say, well, Hey, like there's this, 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 and this, right. They don't know either. No, no, they don't. And you know, a, a doctor's job is to be a doctor in the hospital and help people. And as much as they want to do the other work, they have... There's only so much they can do. Right. There's so yeah. many patients. There's all the insurance work they have to fill out. There's just the constant stuff. So they, they really, you know, doctors are great, but they can't be up to date on everything about your injury because not only do they have you, they have everybody else that they're seeing as right. well. And I think that's where our facility does a really good job at putting information out there for our clients. And, you know, every month when they, you know, get their their receipts, they also get the things that are coming up within the community. And so you guys have built kind of a little community here yes. in Southern California. You started in this little room. It was not much better than this room. And where are you guys at now? We are in on the between Pomona and Claremont and Laverne, pretty much right dead center on town in Bonita, just a little bit south of there. So that's where our facility is, and it is about 6,000 square feet. It's really nice, and we will be expanding next year most likely. And that is going to be with more equipment, being able to take on more clients. We actually have our our first fundraising event in a long time. I believe it's April 11th coming up. It's a huge kind of gala dinner. Uh, I mean, we're expecting over 1,000 people there. Uh, knock, knock, you know, yeah. with... Uh, 
everything going on. Uh, send, send your checks in. He won't say it, but just send, if you don't want to go, send the check, you know, that's, be perfect foundation. that's my job. Is yeah. to say, just write the check, please. Yeah. But yeah, so, uh, it's, we, we have that event coming up and, uh, there's, I don't know, a lot of good things in the works with them. And so when you guys, essentially this is all self-funded, this is all funded through the foundation. Correct. You guys don't have any outside. There's no company outside that's paying for it. There's no, no, it's, it, it's kind of, you know, been, been built from the ground up in this little community. Correct. Donations. And then what individuals are able to pay for themselves. Yeah. And occasionally we'll get some workers comp, but for the most part, traditional insurance will not reimburse us currently. And why is that? Because there is not a medical license associated with our facility. Okay. And so there's no medical number to license out to, but we are working on that. We do uh, work with Costco. What what does getting that entail? Typically having really good research that we are doing now on our population and to say, hey, what we are doing is essentially going to cost the insurance company less than doing nothing. So it's kind of like if we can come to the insurance company and be like, look, the individuals that aren't doing this have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, complications of their injury. They have more trips to the hospital. You're still paying for all this. Yes, you're paying for that. Now, if you let them come to our facility, you're going to pay way less. So you might as well pay for them to come to our facility because it's going to save you guys money long term. That's an interesting angle. I never thought of it that way. So you're essentially telling the insurance company, which of course is only caring about the the bottom line, which I understand. Yep. Okay. You're still going to be paying for their high blood pressure, their diabetes, their their sores, their their you know injuries, any of these other things that they have, you know infections, sickness. Yes. You know anything mental health related. All of this, you could avoid by coming here. Exactly. And then often in times you guys do have that situation where you guys turn people around. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. And really after that first six months to a year of, of injury, people start to come out of that depression, but also being within a community helps a lot. And then seeing what their body can actually do. And, you know, we've seen so many people that came in little to no hope, and now they are starting their own foundations. They have jobs, they've gone to get degrees. They uh, are continuing to make these amazing strides in their lives despite the injury. Very cool. And so I guess the one thing I wanted to ask you was, how did you get into this? How did, what, what made you interested in it? Even when you heard about it? Initially, it was just a chance for growth. Okay. I wanted to learn more because when you get certified as a trainer or you get your degree in exercise science, for the most part, you'll go through your classes or your coursework and they say, hey, here's this client and this is how you help them. And, and then you get to real life, you're like, oh, people have issues, yeah. uh, whether it's their knee, their back, their hips, their elbows, whatever. And then you go to that next level. Now, this is a person who has an injury. How are you going to help this person? And so once I actually got into helping this population and learning more, it it almost took on just a little bit more meaning than helping the average population, so to speak, you can make a bigger impact in someone's life and the lives around them. There's, you know, a ripple effect of, you know, this person is happier, families are happier. And, you know, it, it, I think that, that kindness and that the, the good things that come from it ripples out beyond what I can just do with that individual. Not to say that I don't thoroughly enjoy helping able-bodied individuals. I think I have a passion for all that, but I think what really drew me to that community is you get so close to these individuals and you have to be open. You you have to learn so much more about people and what their limitations are. So you, you have this closeness and this affinity 
and so yeah, I think it was just almost uh, it just felt right to be there. Very cool. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things where there's certain types of people that just like the next challenge, mm. you know, and in in not to say like you were saying that that you know a regular able able bodied person wouldn't be um, interesting to work with. There's plenty of people I'm sure who are, but this has a bigger impact probably for you as well as them. You know, that has a huge impact for them, but it probably makes you feel good. Absolutely. It, it, <laughs> I think just that level of happiness, like that people get from the community at large that we have there, but also the stuff that they get back. You know, I, I have a, a client and something that we're work, working on in his gait training is one of his legs is it's much stronger than his other. And he was able to stand on his weaker leg for a prolonged period of time. Didn't lose his balance, just standing there on it. Yeah. And it sounds so simple and so trivial, but to get to that next step was great. And he is just, I mean, you know, almost in tears. Like, I can't believe I finally did this. It yeah. Just, it, yeah. And so it's, it's definitely different than having to have the same conversation of why so-and-so didn't lose five pounds. <laughs> right. No, and I mean, that's, <laughs> it's not negating your struggle. No, no, it's <laughs> but, not. It's not. But it is just saying, you know, this is a very special thing to you yes um how did the pandemic um and being you know kind of separated from people affect you guys what i will say is you know how the owner of the company was really good about keeping us in the loop of everything that was going on or not going on at the claremont club and what was going to happen and as after they closed the second time i believe is when the so at the time just to go back for people you this was a this was essentially on site at a, at a fitness facility. Correct. This fitness facility was a kind of like a one-off. It wasn't like an LA fitness that was a big chain. It was a one-off regional thing. And they were located in LA County right on the border. Yes. Had a little bit more strict rules at the time. Mm-hmm. So they were having to follow to the letter, much stricter rules. So they were closing and that included closing you down. Correct. So unfortunately, because the primary business we were attached to, that was what uh, the governmental entities looked at. And they said, right. you're a gym, you have to close right. and didn't take into the medical context, the things right. that we do. And we had doctors from Kaiser coming in, writing prescriptions, things like that. So would having that medical, uh, like didn't, uh, you know, the same thing that you need for your insurance to, to cover this, this, this treatment, would that have affected you at all? Would it have helped? Uh, it would have helped keep us open. Yes. And essentially that's what we had to do when the Claremont club decided to dissolve or to sell, Mm -hmm. uh, the perfect step said we need to be our own entity and took that opportunity stable. Yeah. Yeah. And so essentially now that they go apply for their next business license or their more, you know, self-sustaining business license, now you can change the context of what we're licensed under. So it was no longer a recreational facility. It is a health and wellness, fitness, whatever facility. So now we have almost like that governmental bypass, like, okay, yes, you guys are doing medic, more medically based more medical, work yeah. and you're not just a gym. Yeah. And so that gave us the opportunity to open back up not very long after. So I think the club originally closed, the Claremont Club closed maybe March 15th or 16th of 2020 and reopened June. It was or, somewhere in the summer, yeah. Yeah, closed July. And I think it was right when they closed in June, the the foundation and the, the, and the perfect step, that's when they're like, let's just go. Let's find our own, our, our own yeah. way. And by, I believe it was the end of October of 2020 is when we had a working facility again. And it's, it's 
we've slowly been growing back since then. Uh, you know, we, even with the, uh, you know, the masking and mandates and things like Just that. We're working still, around it. Yeah. it exactly. Working so still continue to grow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a huge facility and, and people are pretty spaced out. It's how nice. did you guys handle though that period when you guys were separated? Did you continue the treatments at home? I mean, how did you, how do you, how do you, that this is not something that's like, you know, I can zoom your, right. your workout. I can, I can, you know, so when, when people are thinking about, you know, this this gym in particular had to close down. Mm-hmm. That was a gym. I understand that. I, that's that's but that's its classification. Right. But you guys were attached to it. Yes. Doing, you know, more, more serious work. Yeah. So, that isn't something you know when the trainers can hop on you know uh, Facebook Live and do right. you know things for for the clients. That's not what you can do. N- no, unfortunately, and you know while I did take some of my able-bodied clients and do just that. I, I couldn't take a lot of my wheelchair-bound clients because I, ha- I have to be in you front of them. You have to be there. Yeah, I have to. And, you know, some people may have reached out to other facilities at that point. I know not all of our clients came back, so I think some people might have gone and tried to find a more medically-based facility at the time. Mm-hmm. And But, yeah, I think it, it really impacted the community for a really long time until we reopened in October, I think. And you guys were able to kind of recover. Yes, and, and most of yeah those clientele, they, they weren't getting any help. They weren't right. getting any sort of therapy or go, fitness. And you know? Yeah, yeah, what's, what's, what is going to be open? Is there anything like it? There are other facilities that are similar, not, you know, not necessarily. Same, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'd say if, if you ask some of the bigger names in the industry, we're kind of on the forefront of that. We have, there's not very many commercial facilities that have more experience than we do. Interesting. That's very, you know, that's, that's such a, that's a crazy time to be, you know, imagine just starting with someone or, or only a few weeks in and then you have to stop. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was rough, but I, that's why I think we had about a, all in all, I think we've had about 150 clients in our facility from start to end and not all currently. And when we reopened, I think about 40 or 50 came back immediately, Immediately. which was great. Yes. Mm -hmm. They were just ready to be back. And now I'd say we're probably over 70 clients on a regular basis and with growing, growing every month. And you know, eventually we will need to hire new specialists, but not just yet. Yeah. Uh, it'll be nice to outgrow that. And I I think that's why they're, they are planning to not only expand our facility, but, uh, Hal has been meeting with, other facilities traveled all over the country to potentially get our model out there and initially attach it to other fitness facilities that we were just to offset some of those initial costs because some of the equipment of course is expensive it's it's adaptive yeah and uh, but i think there is a, a need for it and that is essentially what we're trying to do is franchise and grow and you know help more people right yeah that's that, that's the thing is there's some equipment and i remember walking by it a few times and seeing if some of the equipment in there is, is specialized and very specific. And some of it is like things that I'm like, Hey, wait, that was in the, that was in the gym. You right. know, that was, you know, <laughs> that was something you took that actually, <laughs> you know, give me that. Um, no, but it was, um, you know, it was something that was like very, uh, you, sh- you guys showed real ingenuity, you know, and, and creativity with how you treated them. Now, Absolutely. How did this stuff come about was there was there previous science about the things that you did or how you know what did you just you know when you started that first room you know that well, you weren't attached to anybody correct did you just just how, how did you decide even that you guys were, were wanting to do this so initially there was a 
PT on staff at the Claremont Club. His name was Lee, RIP. Um, but he started there, and that's why that kind of took off. Then the rest of the trainers that wanted to get involved had to go to Project Walk and do their certification. Now, if you look at Project Walk... That was it. So Project Walk was a um, another entity. That was the original right. entity that okay. was that was we were involved with. And were you guys associated with them from the very beginning when you started, or did someone just come in there with Lee and... and decide to start exercising. Uh, Hal and Lee were the first people in there and okay. just started just to do, do stuff. Something. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then it upon Hal continuing to search for Does he ever say why he did he just want to do something or did he did he have a, a, a vision for that or a reason for that or was it what, what was the you know So uh, Hal and his family are are financially in a very positive position. And he realized not everybody is, and not everyone has the ability to pay for ongoing training like he would have had that ability to. Yeah. And I think seeing that and seeing so many people in the community that he had met and reached out to and they needed help mm -hmm. and him and his family, they have, I mean, really hearts of gold. They want to help people and they've realized this is almost like a calling for them. You know, there's they, being a reason behind everything. They thought this was their reason was yeah. to continue to help this population. And that's where the inception of that idea came from and now you know the be perfect foundation even on their shirts and things like that it just says helping how heal others mm -hmm. and that was kind of their motto they wanted to help the paralysis community get as much as they could back and out of life because it really can be draining and really hard to get more out of it when you you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel right and there are people who and i've i've, I've met i've met how before briefly but um they are you know, philanthropists in the sense that they really want to help people. I've been associated with a lot of charities. I've worked with a lot of charities through my work, what I do. Mm -hmm. And I'm always a little bit like, mm, like that's a nice car. I mean, <laughs> not, not that, not that you aren't wealthy, but you started working here. Yeah. <laughs> oh know? yeah. You yes. know, what's, you know, that doesn't see, it doesn't sit right. It doesn't always feel right. Sometimes it feels a little more like a business. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and helping people is the way that they, they run the business as opposed to this is one entity um, be perfect is one where I've, I've seen where people just genuinely get just they you know you get your donations worth yes it's, Ni it's 99 it's, cents out of every dollar yeah <laughs> I mean that, that's important to say because it's a lot of times it's like 30 cents 60 cents 50 cents it's not um, you know this is not a situation where you guys have created something to you know create a business it's you've you really are pouring you know your your hearts and your 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 talents and your your money into helping these people and growing it and, and you know there's there's you've probably only scratched a small surface of how many people out there there are um but that's always was something that i wanted to to just you know bring out because it's such an interesting um such an interesting program so you guys started with just you know in there just wanted to do something yes he wanted to do just not stay home yes <laughs> and he I'm guessing he went to the, to, to work out at that gym. Correct. So, so he, that's kind of was the, 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 the spark. Right? Yes. He went to work out at project walk and you know, told his family like we need one of these yeah. down by us. And where was the original one of those? Wasn't it from Carlsbad? Okay. Carlsbad, Carlsbad. California. Okay. Yes. And it was a super nice facility, good size and you know, a lot of good leadership there. And unfortunately, you know, um, as leadership changes, ideas change and some ideas aren't for the best. Or they're, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, 
So essentially, Project Walk got you your start. Yes. In, in, in kind of your your. It's interesting because essentially you're doing the same thing that your clients are as a business or as a as a foundation. You're kind of learning to walk yeah. <laughs> in this industry and, and in the fitness industry in general. Mm-hmm. But you are, you know, you're going from this this fitness facility down in Carlsbad which, that was that was doing what you're doing now, mm-hmm. and then you're kind of building off of that. Yes. Now they are no longer are um, solvent either. Correct. A lot of a lot of businesses are not, but. Um, you guys have taken kind of what you're doing and, and are, um, or what you were doing with them and you kind of putting your own spin on it now. Correct. So yeah, we've expanded and continue to grow and our education has gotten better and we are partnering with a lot of different, uh, facilities and schools. So, you know, we have a partnership with University of Laverne, uh, Western University of Health Sciences. We're, you know, in conjunction with, Kalina, we're doing some things with Keck. I mean, there's just a lot that we're a lot of partnerships that we're forming. We're doing some things with Christopher Reeves Foundation. And these things take time. They do take time, yeah. and you know, it's it's been ten years in the making, right. but it is really kind of coming to fruition and and more. Just within this community and the industry, there's a, a lot of not only current growth but growth potential. Right, right. It's such a it's such an amazing program. I mean, it's always something that I. Um, really respected you guys to do because it was something that is so, um, it's so needed, but it's so invisible. It's very, it's a very weird concept because, you know, there's, there's, everybody knows about lung cancer. Everybody knows about, you know, all types of diseases. Well, there's a day and, for everything. You know, you wear your pink shoes on breast cancer day. Is there day a day for, it, for spinal cord injury? Uh, there is. I think there's a month. Yeah, a I month, believe there's okay. a month. Yeah. And so I think. But it's not like breast cancer. It's not like, no. it's not visible like that. Yeah. You don't have football players wearing pink cleats. And this you is know. such a hard thing to talk about because it's not, you're, you're not taking away from that. That's mm. a, that's a difficult, horrible, awful thing. And I'm exactly. glad that we have a month for that. Great. Yes. But this is something that is, you know, it's, it's really, if, if I hadn't gone to that particular gym, I wouldn't really see a, someone in a wheelchair more than a few times every few months, realistically. Right, yeah. There's one guy at the, the gym that I go to now, which is Gold's down here, and briefly see him, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's it, at, the, at the, the, the club, it was like they were everywhere. Uh, they were part of the community there. They'd and, come into the weight room and yeah, go to the, the, the cafe and go to the, by the pool and go, and, and it was so normal. Yes. And that's kind of something that I thought was really interesting was it was just normal. They were just going about their life. They were doing their thing. Yeah. As opposed to, I think when you're not used to it, you don't really know how to behave. Right. You know how people yeah. get that awkward. Yeah. What do we do? What do we do? Do we, you know, do we, and it's like, do just I push your chair? Like, what do you need? Yeah. You, know, you don't, you know, <laughs> like you don't need to go grab them and push them. There's no, they're not asking you for anything. Yeah, please don't do that. <laughs> you know, yeah. Let's, you do need to put that asterisk out there. There's enough people out there that, that it's just I know like, you're trying to be helpful, but, you know, don't ask first. There's, there's certain things you don't do, and that's one of them. Um, but, you know, it's it's like this this thing where that people get when they, they don't know how to. It's not a bad, it's not out of a bad place. Not at all. It's just awkward, and you're just like, well, what do I do? Right. I will say it happened to me, it happened to me one time where I, I, I was at the gym, and I needed to go to the bathroom so bad. And I went and went, and, and there was like, everything was used except for the handicap stall. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to go real quick. <laughs> and then like, I'm, I'm finishing, and I turn, and I see wheels. And I was like, oh my God. 
<laughs> oh no. This has happened. This is happening. It's happened. <laughs> and so I'm like, what do I do? Do I pretend that it's just locked? Do I just stay in here until I leave? Do I do I do I just do I, I walk gonna, out and just kind of just hello? Pretend you I have know, a limp you know. or something. <laughs> that was the other thing. It briefly crossed my mind. I will be honest and say it briefly, like, oh, it's down here. It's, it's a, you know, and I just was like, hey, you know, I just kind of like, because I, you know, I'm around, I'm around it enough. Like at the time, I was yeah. around enough, but they kind of just like, 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 I was like, sorry. And they were like, they kind of laughed it off, but I was just like, oh God, why, why did I do that? But I just, I was just, I had to go. So it was just, um, at least you weren't in their parking spot. That, that, we, we can get away with yeah, the yeah, bathroom. I, the parking I, spot, though, I, no. That's a line. I, won't, I, don't, I don't do red, red zones or, 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 or um, handicapped spot. I'm pretty sure that was like a, a – uh, there, there's, 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 there's a line. But yeah, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't do a parking spot. But the handicapped space you know, or the handicapped uh, stall is a – you know, sometimes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the only thing. If it's the only thing, yeah. But, um, yeah, no, it's, it was, uh, you know, but, but in that situation, I could see how someone would be really awkward, you know, and, and almost not um, even acknowledge them. Because I think that people, when they are awkward, and, not, and it's not intentional, it's not necessarily, well, I mean, it is intentional, but it's not, um, again, from a bad place, you, you kind of just... You, you either there's people that confront it head on and just you know ask them okay well you know and, and there's people who just ignore it yeah because they don't want to do anything wrong so they just ignore it yeah and I have plenty of people that I don't throw like that <laughs> where they just they ignore problems until they're just you know right in your face but that for that person that's one thing that I learned with with being around you guys so much was that to that person that interaction and, and to be treated like everyone else was really important and so that's something that I you know, have always kind of remembered. And if more people knew that, right, and knew about how to engage these people and not treat them like they're just, you know, these, these others, right. then, then it's something that we can, you know, make their quality of life better. Right. I think, too, it's just... In society. Well, yeah, I think it just, if you look at it, you know, if you, if you saw someone who just broke their leg and they're walking right. around on crutches, you're still going to talk to them. Just, they're right. a regular person. They just got injured. And right. unfortunately, this injury just happens to last a lot longer. Right. And sometimes when, when you cross that line from cast to, to chair, you know, people freeze up. Yes. And it's, it's something where some of the people that I've met through, through you, you know, the, the, the just being around um, when you were at the gym, um, some of them have like, the best sense of humor. Dark sense of humor. Some of them have great sense of humor. My style of comedy. I mean, I, like, I, was, but I just was like, you know, they're just normal people. They're just regular people. Absolutely. They just, it just, again, they just had a really bad day, Yep. you know, one day and then their, their life kind of changed <laughs> or absolutely changed. Yeah. And so that's something, what would you say to someone who's not familiar with a, a spinal cord injury and, and how to, you know, what would you say to someone who's like, you know, who does freeze up or who doesn't know how to behave? I think the best thing to think about would be how do you want people to interact with you? Right. So if you're a person who doesn't like interaction anyways, just continue all about your day. Right. But if however you would want to be interacted with, that's how you should interact with somebody. Yeah. It's, and it's the same thing when I first started working with this population and I'm moving their body that does not work. Mm -hmm. And 
that was something that someone with an injury told me. They said, just move my body like you would want your body moved if someone was doing this to you. Right. And uh, that's just the best way to think about it, you know, kind of golden rule or whatever. But it's, yeah, how, how do you want to be treated? That's how you should treat these people. And so introduce yourself if you really want to have this conversation like you normally would. Hi, I'm so-and-so and, you know, what's your story kind of thing? What do you yeah. do? And start from there. And then, you know, once you build a little rapport and you feel comfortable with this person, then you can ask, hey, like, you know, what, did you have an injury or, you know, what, are, you, are you in the chair? What, yeah. what, what, what is that? You know, treat them normally. Yes, just exactly. Treat them how you would. Yeah. I mean, just make a friend. I mean, and if you're just a, not a nice person, then maybe you don't do that. <laughs> I mean, you know, but traditionally, yeah. Yeah. I, and, I think that, like, there's, there's so many um, people that you, that you work with that are just, they're, they're just going about their lives. They don't think, it's, it's a strange concept. They don't, they don't, obviously it's in, it's, it's, it defines their life, but it doesn't define who they are. Correct. I have a client and she said, if one more person calls her inspirational, she's going to lose her mind. She said, all I'm doing is getting groceries. What's her name? I'm going to, I'm going to go on her her Instagram and say, you are just, you inspire me. That's what you do. And you know, you know, cause she's, she said that people, she'll just be at the store getting groceries like everybody else and be like, you're so inspiring. Like, no, this is something we just have to do to live. Yeah. It's not inspired. This is just life. It defines their life in the sense of how their life functions, but yes. it doesn't define who they are. Right. Right. Yeah. And she's like, I'm, I'm not inspirational cause I had to push myself up this ramp. I just have to get up, up here like everybody else. Thank yeah. God there's a ramp or, you know, then I would be inspirational carrying my chair yeah. and going up the <laughs> stairs maybe. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, just like a person, make a friend. I don't know. I, I think I would like being called inspirational for every little thing. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I don't know. I can't be in her shoes, but I'm not so sure. I might, I might disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's a, that's a, you know, that's an example of, of, of one of many, I think of, of some of the people there. They're, they're just like great, interesting people. Yeah, very they're, much so. They're, they have just these crazy stories too, because of, of what they've gone through. Yeah. You know, and and it it impacts more than just them, and it impacts their family. And you probably know a lot about that. Is like you know, this like you were saying before, it doesn't just affect them. It also turns the entire family upside down. Yeah, I think you look at a dynamic. You know, if what I do with like I have a five year old and a one and a half year old, and the things that I do with them now, I'm running around, I'm tossing around, we're playing, and to say that like. You know, if, if I had that taken away right. and I would not be able to pick up my son or I wouldn't be able to like run around with my daughter, right? it, not only does it change your life because of course you miss those things, but now you're not the same person to them that you were before right. and not to say that they would hold that against you, but it does change the dynamics of so many relationships. And so there, there has to be a really strong family unit or friends unit or just community to help you make those, those changes. Yeah. And it just goes from, you know, because of the, the lack of help yes. from, you know, any kind of outside entity. If they don't have the means, which some do, but very few do, mm-hmm. um, they need some help. Yeah. And, and that family is, is often struggling. Yeah, it's true. Right? So, you know, that's kind of the role that you guys fill yeah. is that, that, you know, you're that leg up and that help. Yeah. Well, luckily, I mean, social media does help. We've gotten a few clients off that, off, you know, Instagram or Facebook posts, things like that. And so people find the Be Perfect Foundation or they'll find the perfect step on, on any of those platforms. Right. And, you know, they're able to at least find us and through us, hopefully find more things that they can use. Right. Right. And that's something that, that is, op- is available to you now. It's something that 
when you first started, there really wasn't, I mean, we had social media. I mean, it was Facebook and Instagram kind a little of bit, yeah. 10 years ago, 2011. I, mean, I didn't have an Instagram. I was, I actually just recently looked, it was 2013. So, you know, realistically you didn't have like, um, the tools you have now, which right. is much easier to get your stories out there. And then everyone else can as well. Yes. Um, to, to, to reach more people. Mm -hmm. And do you guys, do you guys have like a, like a, do you, do you dedicate time to social media or do you? Oh, absolutely. You know? No, it is, it is a big function for us and not only to get out there within the community and let people know what's out there, but yeah. also to showcase what we do within our facility yeah. and to put spotlights on clients and how far they've come. And, you know, also just to let the regular public know, you know, we have videos of, Hey, this is what it takes for someone in a chair to leave their house, to get in their car, to take apart their wheelchair, put it in the car, get to their location, put it back together, get out of it, get inside, do their therapy, and then repeat it all the way home. Right. And so I think it's it's awareness on all levels. So whether you're injured or not, and then if you are injured, you can see what is possible, what facilities um, have to offer, what kind of exercise you can expect, and then also what other clients are saying and what in other individuals with paralysis are, are saying and doing within the community and our facility. Right. That's a, that's a, you know, that's a difficult thing to do because you have, you have different messages you have to, you have to reach. You have to reach people who are maybe have an injury mm -hmm. and that you want to reach them to let them know there's something out there for them. Yeah. Right. You have people that are just regular everyday people who, you know, just need to be aware of, 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 of it at all. They mm -hmm. don't have nothing to do with it at all until yeah. you tell them. Right. And then you have the whole growing, trying to grow the, the actual business side of it to, to expand. Exactly. And, um, because essentially, even though it's, it's a charity, it is still, you have to sustain yourself right. as a charity. Yeah. And still you, you guys pour so much back into it. It's difficult to, you know, expand because yes. you're, you really are spending every dime, almost every dime on the people. Right. Um, and so, yeah, just to, to clarify with the, there's, there's two entities, there's the be perfect foundation. And that is the foundation that is associated with helping right. pay for all right. these things. And then there's the perfect step, which is the business entity that people right. get their training from. And what I will say though, the perfect step has a lot of the resources and I mean, I don't think they took a profit this year. I think they literally reinvested everything back into right. the, the business and the Be Perfect Foundation, like 99 cents out of every dollar is donated to not only therapy, but also if you need to change the way your vehicle is set up so you can get hand controls or and that's, things like that's, that. And that's, you know, there's so Adaptive many, stuff. just explain that to people as well. Like when you have a situation like this, it's not just a chair. There's also getting into your car, yeah. using your car if you want it, if you have the ability to be driven or not, having that taken away from you as well. Yeah. I, I mean, some of the simple exercises, just, you know, put both your hands into fists and go about your day like that. Don't use your fingers. I mean, that is what some of these people deal with on a daily basis. Their hands don't work. Yeah. It's part of, part of the injury. And so try and, you know, yeah, you might be able to take a drink of water, but you know, tell me how eating went. Tell me how so you So someone the out there who, who maybe doesn't know if you have, you know, a function of your arms, you doesn't necessarily mean you have a function of your fingers. Correct. And it is as simple as a couple levels of injury. So at a, you know, a C5 level, you're going to be able to use your biceps and your shoulders and maybe a little bit of your chest and your back. Whereas if you get to 
C7, now you have your triceps, you have a little bit more trunk stability. And then if you get to T1, guess what? You get your hands back. Yeah. So just a couple of inches makes a huge difference. Yeah, yeah and that, that has to be mentally just difficult to go through as well. I can't imagine, like, at least for me, I, can, I, I know that I would be sitting there going, if only it was just a little bit lower. Yep. <laughs> like, if only it was. And that's got to be tough. Yeah. Yeah, true. You know? it, it really is. It's tough. And, and you guys, though, do give them an outlet to... Not only, I mean, you're, you're working on things on, on the, um, the physical side, but it must be nice to go somewhere where you can exercise and do things. And so you have a background in exercise as well. Correct. So tell people about just that, that aspect of it and how you guys have kind of merged the medical part with the exercise. So I think the phrase exercise is medicine comes into play. And yeah. I think it's, it's really gotten some traction here in the last few years. And while the, I think there is a little bit of a, a lapse between the medical community and the, the physical fitness community, I think that we're seeing that gap narrow because we realized how many outcomes are so intertwined between a person's level of fitness and their medical outcomes. Right. And so I think taking the, adding physical activity to someone who is chair bound, it is still going to improve their level of fitness. So yes, it may, they're not going to be running a marathon, but people push a marathon right and you know you can get a road bike you can pedal with your arms you can and some individuals that do get the ability to walk yeah they'll go walk a 5k they'll do something like that so they're with our facility trying to bring together what pts are doing continue it and then adding an exercise component to a recovery component i think you're, you're just seeing what the body's capable of if given the right stimulus. It does seem like society for a bit was really in the, like the medical, medical was over here on, on one side and the, the health of the body was on the other side. And it was just over here was, here's a pill, you know, that'll take your pain away and you'll be yeah. good. And then over here was, you know, this is for people who just, you know, want to look better. Right. And it was completely separated. Yep. And so that's that's always been something that's that's fascinated me is that it does seem like it's it's coming back to where okay, certain things over here can be fixed by certain things over here. Very much so. And I think you're and seeing certain that. things over here if done wrong can be put you over here. <laughs> so just FYI, you know. <laughs> but you know that's why it's important to have someone professional. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, because you just think about it. If if someone is like pre-diabetic and you work out consistently, you're going to be able to handle your glucose better. Guess what? You're right. not pre-diabetic. You don't need that medication anymore. Right. If someone has high blood pressure, high cholesterol, you lose a few pounds. You work out more consistently. Guess what? You don't have those issues anymore. Right. Um, and if you can prevent high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and diabetes, uh, I'd say 70% of our healthcare problems go away. I think about 70 or 80% of our, our healthcare dollars are spent on things that are preventable with physical activity and better food. Yeah, especially better food. The food <laughs> thing is crazy. Yeah. There's, well, there's it, places in the country that I've, I've, when I, I used to drive for certain projects, we would drive through and... and Going even going into grocery stores, it's just like gray <laughs> vegetables and like it's just everything's processed or frozen or yeah. Well, I think with the food thing, the, lucky enough, yes, we want to eat more fruits and vegetables, but just eating less in general. Less in general, yeah. yeah. So but it, even the quality sometimes of the of the the things that people are eating, yeah, seems to be getting worse. Yeah, yeah, especially if you are in like in you know, some places. Yeah, if you're in a food desert, you right. know, every, every vegetable Not is in a can has a or whole whatever. Foods down right. the street that they <laughs> right. can go pop in and and you know 
get you know whatever they want it's it's a yes eating less in general for sure yeah um for certain things but it's it's interesting to me that that there's kind of like a i think they call them food deserts where you have like the 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 whole like it's just packaged or, or yes. lacking of any kind There's of nutritional fresh, value, yeah. value at all. It's, it's just, you know, not yeah. good. Yeah. For the, the truck to get there to deliver it, it'd be, you know, four hours, the food's already spoiled. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and it's, it's just this, it's a crazy, um, time we live in because you have more things at your fingertips than ever before. But then there's certain things that you have that, that are just getting worse and worse. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of like a, it's a weird paradox to me that you have you have more information, but you have less, you know, the, the physical things that you need. Right, the ability to apply the information. Right. It's like <laughs> you, you know, what's going on here. But um, yeah, I think that that's that's just something that um, that's always fascinated me at least. But I definitely, you know, having you on to talk about, you know, what you're doing and what you, you're all doing with this this program has always been fascinating and, and interesting to me to, you know, hear about. So I'm glad I were able to have you mm-hmm. and, and explain everything about it. Um, you know, but what interested you when you were younger about getting into health and fitness? Well, I think it's been a lot of different things. The first time I ever picked up a, a barbell, I was nine or 10 and my dad had ordered some Joe Weider bench press and I remember unracking the bar and just my arms shaking and I can't even control this thing. And it feels like it weighs a thousand pounds and it's yeah. a 45 pound 45. bar. <laughs> and, uh, and so that was the first time I touched it. And, and I, I mean, I, I thought it was cool. I was like, Oh, this is all right. Yeah. I'm hanging out with dad. We're getting buff or whatever, but you know, I'm nine. I don't really get the concept. And right. you know, of course I played sports and things growing up. And then it was probably in high school where I took a more active interest in the strength conditioning aspect of exercise. And that was just to get me better at sports. Because if you look at my athletic ability, I'm better than the average person, but way worse than the athletes. And so I wanted to try and narrow that gap. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, being in better shape. I than, think a lot of people can, can relate to that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm like a... a a crappy athlete, but a good average person. Oh yeah. 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 I was like, average people's like stiff arm, a regular <laughs> yeah. athlete. Yeah. I'm, I'm so I wanted to narrow that gap. So I started working out more consistently and I got to college and of course I just wanted girls to look at me. So it was more like that was the, the kick. And as I've gotten older and I've had clients tell me their goals, you can just see how the reasons behind why people work out shift. So initially, of course, I wanted to you know be attractive, and then I realized, oh, this is actually really good stress management. Yeah. You know, being in school, if you have finals or whatever, and it was just great to go work it all off. And then, you know, I you get into your late twenties, and then you know the thirties creep in. And you're like, oh, it's not as easy to stay super lean all the time. And mm-hmm. so now it's like this is actually like a you know, uh, maintenance kind of a thing. Right. And then you realize with clientele that I've had is like, oh, this is actually preventing them from having all these issues that other people do. So now it's health. I don't want to have high blood pressure. I don't want to have these health related issues that I could easily prevent if I just go work out. And it's something about having the the dedication to do so because I mean, it's going to cost you a little bit of time now, or it's going to cost you a lot of time later if you're doing it or not. Right. And now I think I just continue to do it because it's part of me. I think everyone gets addicted to something. Mm-hmm. regardless of whether it's good or bad. And I feel like it is just a part of my personality. It's something that I feel like it's just a habit that I have. And I thoroughly enjoy being able to keep up with my kids. And mm-hmm. I like being able to know that I'm not going to get hurt bending over, picking up a dish. <laughs> right. <laughs> pull your back out doing something. Yeah. Basic. Something, something stupid. And, uh, 
So I, it, I think it shifts and, you know, I have clients right now in their, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, and they're saying like, oh, I, I'm hanging out with my friends and I see how weak they are, or I see the things they can't do, or I see that they have trouble getting out of a chair. And they're like, I like being able to do things that I want to do. I have this lady, she's uh, just turned 70. She squatted 135 for one, super stoked for, played on each side. And she said it's so easy for her to get her own dog food. So she'll go get like the 50 pound dog food from Costco or whatever. And she loads it up herself. And she said, all these people always come up to me like, Hey, do you need any help? She's like, no, thank you. I have this. And you know, so it's, it's, I think the reasons people are going to work out are going to morph over time. And I think people need to take that to heart because unfortunately we're all going to get old and we're all going to get weak, but at least you can slow down the getting weak part. (laughs) It's not even, I mean, it's even more than that. I mean, even earlier on in your, in your twenties and thirties, you start to lose balance. There's certain things. If you don't, you know, people who are in high school, you know, playing sports, you're kind of at your, at your, your peak there, right? You're doing, you're doing great when you are done with that. And if you don't continue anything, it goes away quick. Oh yeah. Being able to just stand on one foot. I urge people just to like, just try and stand on one foot (laughs) for 15 seconds. Yeah. It's difficult, you know, if you haven't practiced it and, um, you know, it's, it's, I think what gets lost in this conversation about like fitness and, and training and all that is okay. Take away all the appearance conversation. Just put that over there. You guys can argue about that. Yeah. Just the, are you going to be able to stand up from going to the bathroom yeah. when you're older? Are yeah. you going to be able to, in your thirties and forties, you know, not lose bone density and all these different things. You don't need to work out to look good. If, no, you, you, don't, don't. if you don't, if you, if you don't care or you don't, whatever, that's fine. Yeah. But there are certain physiological things that happen to you. So tell people about that. Like as you, I'm sure, you know, like from, you know, diff- from here to here and here to here, you know, explain that to people, that process. Um, so when you look at, even if you just start from, from birth. Uh, luckily, nothing really bad happens to us until we go through puberty. Your cell turnover rate is pretty much unlimited at that point, which is why you can get hurt when you're eight years old and it's like you never got hurt. Yeah. Um, about the time you go through puberty, you'll start accumulating damages, but it takes a long time. So you figure from 13 to about 18, life's easy, no aches, no pains, unless you actually had an injury. Uh, mm-hmm. But for the most part, you wake up and you can do anything you want to do at any given time. And somewhere between 18 and 25 you peak and that is going to be the height of your typically your mm-hmm. strength your agility your speed your endurance somewhere in that 18 25 range some people can bump it out to 26 27 or so but for sure by 30 we're going to start seeing a drop in your vo2 max which is your ability to utilize oxygen that you inhale at a cellular level and then you're also going to see a slight drop in testosterone production from males uh, and you can offset a lot of those things if you continue to work out. And so between 20 and 60, what a lot of people don't realize is that your metabolic rate doesn't drop a whole lot between and for 20 dumb and 60. People there like, like me. So what's, what's the metabolic rate? Metabolic rate is everything that your body does to live. So the, uh, the energy that it takes for you to think and have this conversation mm-hmm. with me, the energy it takes your heart to beat your food to digest for you to move around and do things for yourself, for you to go exercise, for right. you to go on just a hike, your, just, just, just your basic stuff. Yes. Being alive and Breathing. the exercise that you do. Yes. Everything that, that causes you to be alive is your, your metabolism. And that stays relatively constant from 20 to 60. 
Now, most people say, oh, I turned 30 or I turned 40 and I gained all this weight. It's like you just Your weren't lifestyle. active. Yeah, it was, you just weren't active. Well, the, the funny thing about that is like, the, it, it's funny because like when you're in your 20s, people say, well, in my 20s, my metabolism slowed down. It's like, well, it coincided with you going to college and stopping exercising. Right. And same with, with you know, okay, I got to, you know, or, or maybe you had it in check until then. It was my late 20s and, and when, it, when it happened. And it's like, yeah. well, that's when you got a desk job. Yep. You know, and there's certain things, and if you had just introduced certain things, you probably would have offset that. Yeah, I, I think too. You know, when you're in your early 20s and don't have any real responsibilities, you can spend two or three hours at the gym and be fine. Yeah. <laughs> and your metabolism is is you know very very fast, and you burn extra calories just because you have the ability to. And then, you know, you're going out later, you're doing more stuff, you just burn more calories, you're more active. And then, you know, um, depending on stress levels or if you have kids or you get a job or whatever that decreases your activity and then also when you're more stressed and you sleep less your choices aren't as good so you reach for that more processed snack or the sugary stuff or the extra salty food and it's a very very slow process but even then what's uh, interesting to to note is most people gain their weight between october and january of every year the holiday season yeah and so you figure it's the candy it's the thanksgiving food it's uh, all the holiday food it's the new year's drinking all these things and people on average gain about two to four pounds a year on average and so you figure 10 years goes by and you're 30 pounds heavier what the heck happened yeah. well it's just you just kept eating and you didn't lose the weight and because from january to about that september area people keep a relatively similar diet and things like that it's not like a constant weight gain it's usually that season but between 20 and 60, you can essentially stay very, very lean and very, very muscular if you keep it up. Now, yes, no one's going to have time if they're really trying to make their lives better when in their, in their 40s to go work out for two hours a day and look like a fitness model unless that's your job. Right, right. But you can choose to eat a little bit better and continue to work out and keep a lot of what you have. Now, at 60, what we see is there's a profound drop-off in metabolic rate so you do actually slow your metabolism down so you do want to eat a little bit less at that point and then at 70 we see an even greater drop off in hormonal levels so hopefully you've been working up to that point because it's very hard for you to grow new muscle and continue to maintain the muscle that you have at that point but 20 to 60 is pretty much the sweet spot you got to stay as active as you can and you shouldn't see a notable drop off if you are doing those activities yeah and i want to talk more about that we're going to take a quick break okay real quick and then we'll come right back sounds good okay cool all right sweet so we're back all right all right so yeah go ahead and keep uh keep on what we we're talking about because i liked what we were going with that with you know talking about the difference between you know keeping yourself growing older and and be able to function. Yes. You know, yeah, I know I, you were always big about functional movement. Yeah. Well, I, I think when I choose, you know, workouts for myself, I, if I'm going to spend my time doing something, I want it to be worthwhile. And I think people don't, people are very much more about the here and now than about what is going to affect them long-term mm -hmm. and long-term you need to be strong and you need to be able to help yourself. And so that's why when I'm talking to people about, working out, you know, especially as they are aging in that anywhere in that 20 to 60 realm, people say, what should I do? Should I go do cardio? Should I do flexibility? Should I do strength or whatever? And if I'm telling you like, what is going to be the biggest bang for your buck? Uh, first, just let's get a minimum time down. According to the American college of sports medicine, 
you need about 150 minutes a week. So 30 minutes, five days a week, 50 minutes, three days a week, however you want to divvy that up, but 150 minutes a week of like moderate activity. And how many, do you know how many minutes are in a total week anyway? A total week? Yeah. Uh, there's 168 hours in a week, so times 60. Let's do some math here because I want to see. It's what times what? 168 times 24. 168 no, 168 times, times 60 is going to give you minutes. 168 times 60. So there's 10,080. There's, yeah, you got 10,000 so, minutes. Because when you say 150 minutes, people are like, whoa, whoa. Yeah, yeah you two, know, two and a half hours. You know, that's, that's yeah. And so it's, it's very similar to talking about a child in terms of months. You know, she's 24 months old. It's like, well, you know, that makes it sound bigger than it is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, not, that's not exactly. Two. Yeah, it's just two. Just, uh, just say two. But yeah, so 100, 150 minutes is the easiest way to look at it. So you can divvy that up however you want. But within that 150 minutes, if, if people ask me what is going to make the biggest impact, it is going to be your strength. Because, well, I think cardio is an important aspect of your physical fitness. It is not going to get you stronger. And what do older adults struggle with? It is strength. Balance is one thing, but balance is, is controlled by three separate mechanisms. It's your eyes, your ears, and your body. So if your body goes, it doesn't matter how good your eyes and your ears are. Like You're going to fall. And so strength is probably one of the biggest precursors to not falling. So that's why I say at, throughout your whole life, strength training should be the kind of meat and potatoes of your program. So and to this speak. isn't an old, this isn't something for someone who's old. This is something you should do to prevent yourself being in that situation when, Correct. You're, when you're relatively young. Because yeah. there are people in their middle age, their thirties and forties who are they're weak. They can't get yeah. up out of a chair. They, uh, yeah, it's, uh, and so yeah, it starts early. So you want to be as strong as you can for as long as you can be, because you are going to get old and weak. That, that term I mentioned earlier, sarcopenia, that's just the age related loss of strength, vitality, things like that. You can slow that process down, but unfortunately a byproduct of aging, the train is on the tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, you can almost stop it. You can get it going real slow, but you have to start earlier and don't get me wrong. You can start when you're 60 You can start when you're 70. It'll help, Yeah. but go now. And so strength training for sure, sprinkle in the cardio like you like and pick activities that you like to do that are going to keep you active. And what would you say to someone who, because I I know there are those people in their thirties and forties and fifties who say, I ride my bike. That's strength training. I would say that (laughs) the breathe out was a good, (laughs) I had to really refocus on that one. How, How would I, you know, I think of when I'm trying to come up with good responses i think what would i tell like my mom or my dad or my aunt and uncle because you'd be that rough huh <laughs> you'd be that that blunt oh no see i yeah. I, I, I like them I want, I want i want to really ease the the burden for them and i would say please keep going on your bicycle mm-hmm. it is going to help you and i'd rather you do that it is not going to help you get up out of your chair though the type of muscle fibers that you're using is not the same types that you use when you lift weights and the type that you use when you lift weights, those are some of the first to atrophy or get smaller or weaker. And you want to keep those as long as possible. So yes, please continue to ride your bike, but it is not your squat day. It is not your leg day. And you need to continue to work out your upper body because I don't care how much, how tightly you hold that handlebar as you're riding your bike, you're not gonna work out your chest. You're not gonna help your posture by getting, you know, your shoulders into a better alignment. None of those things are gonna happen unless there is focused resistance training and go ahead. And that would be the same answer to someone who says, well, I, I, I jog every morning with the weights or I walk every morning with the weights out in front of myself, you know? Right. And I would say you're walking with three pound dumbbells. Mm-hmm. And if you just look at a gallon of milk, 
if you drink milk or even almond milk, whatever, it weighs more than three pounds. If you have kids at home, your kid weighs more than three pounds. Yeah. It is a it, it's a joke to walk around with three pound dumbbells and think you're doing anything. Yeah. Uh, I think it's better than nothing, but if you really want to make an impact, you got to make it harder on yourself. Now, I do think walking is underrated as a form of preventative medicine mm -hmm. or exercise. I think you should walk every day just because you're supposed to, not because it's your exercise. Mm -hmm. uh, but if if you are going to divvy up your 150 minutes, sure, have 50 minutes of it, 75 minutes of it, be walking, walking briskly around hills around your neighborhood. But make sure it is a little bit of a challenge, but you have to do that resistance training because if you look at walking, you're upright and you're not really bending your legs very much. A squat, you're getting as low as you can into that. In a push-up, you're pushing your body up and away. Right. And, you know, all these movements, you are forcing larger ranges of motion to occur, which is going to take care of some of your fl flexibility work as well. Very nice. Yeah, I think that that's something that always gets lost in the conversation about health and fitness because it's always the two sides of you're fat. No, I don't, I'm fine how I am, like going back and forth. And then everyone else is over here going, yeah, but like you should prevent like, you know, bone loss and just you know that aside you can have you know better balance you know, less injuries things as you get older in mm. your 20s 30s and 40s even that's not old no but people roll their ankle in their late 20s and yeah they wonder how you know well, this is crazy how did this happen you know and if only maybe you had a little bit more balance training or you had just done some exercises on you know with with one leg up and, and types of different things that right, you can right. do to prevent that so that's something that I, I, you know, always think about because it, it isn't just for old people to do preventative, you know, measures. Yes, it is for everybody. And, you know, it, it kind of leads me into the amalgamation, just like the putting together of, of a lot of things that I've done in the fitness industry over the last 15 years. And that's why I came up with this worksite fitness kind of a seminar structure that I do and it is based on people who sit too much so it's for professionals who are sitters so whether that's in an office setting or because they're a delivery driver or whatever average American sits about 10, 10 hours a day and you're already asleep for eight hours of those so you're really only up and walking for six at best at best and so a lot of things happen. Your hips get tight in the front, your hamstrings get tight in the back, your calves get tight, your low back gets tight, you get bad posture and then all these things hurt and ache so you're less physically active you get the high blood pressure the high cholesterol things like that and then now that you're doing even less activity your sleep is disturbed you're stressed you're eating poorly weight gain occurs so it's just this kind of steadily growing snowball over the course of a few years and so I've, I've taken all the knowledge so you know the sitting crowd within the wheelchair um, I've learned a lot from that but also with my regular clientele that have desk jobs and taking those and, and creating the series of lectures around how to prevent what is happening. I think that is going to make a huge impact on individuals because most people have to sit a lot. And I realize the uh, almost hypocrisy of saying that while I'm here sitting mm -hmm. talking to you. But, uh, you know, yeah. we're in a digital world and we're sitting talking. And then you I know, should later you stand for three hours. <laughs> I should have just had you. I, I put that arm up and just say, just stand there. <laughs> Uh, you hypocrite. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, geez. And then I'm going to go home you're, and I'm going to type typing it, yeah. already online. You hear people saying, he's sitting while he's telling me to get up. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, well, but, you did your exercise today or you're going to. Uh, so. oh, I, I will. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. And I think that's the whole point is it's okay if you have to sit all the time. You just got to do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you break it down in those kind of terms, because I think that when you say that to people, people immediately go to, well, I don't have enough time. And that's an excuse. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know anybody, and I have worked with some of the, 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 you know, 
busiest people that I can imagine, especially crew, crew like on movies and, and sets and stuff that are working like like I'm pretty sure illegal hours. I mean, they're they're working <laughs> to the point where it's like they were there at five in the morning and were wrapping it at midnight. They have a break. There's but you know that they're getting overtime and all this other stuff, but they're still working this entire time. Mm-hmm. You know that you could make an argument to me that you don't have time. That yes. I don't have time. Aside from that, if you were working a nine to five job, you definitely have time. Yes, it's it's a matter of what's a priority for you, and and, and there are other things in life. Of course, you're, you if you have kids or you have other things going on. Yeah, but you know, it, you're not asking for two hours every day. No, you're asking for really thirty minutes a day. And of, if you do of, it daily, it's you know, less or less. It, yeah. Then you know it's not. And some of these things that you that you teach and you have on your, your Instagram and your other social medias are things that like you can do at home. Yes. Some of the, the the more functional stuff are things that you can. They don't require a lot of equipment and they don't right. require a lot of. Well, even if you just started work. your day with ten or fifteen minutes worth, you're still better off than zero minutes. And right. I think people get in this mindset of, oh, I have to do everything perfect. So like it's January first, and now I'm going to eat perfect. I'm going to work out every day for two hours. I'm going to do this. It's like. It's not no, sustainable not. either. Well, they're, they're not going to stay to it. Well, and I think we, we give our future selves way too much credit. Way too much credit. It's like, I'm sorry, you, you, you didn't do any of that, and you think the next day you're going to do that? Like, that's not how it works. Like, right. how about you try to eat an apple and a banana in a day, and you do a 10-minute workout and see how it goes, and then see how many days in a row you can do that. And it's I think, like you didn't, you didn't get yourself into this situation overnight. Right. So you're not going to get out of your situation overnight. Unfortunately you know? not. Human bodies are very slow to adapt. Yeah, which is unfortunate. But, you know, uh, slow in the grand context. But, I mean, six to ten weeks is not a long time in right. the course of somebody's life to really make a change. Right. And if you can... And what is that time frame? So if you're, if you're trying to make a change in your, you know, your balance, let's say, do you know off the top of your head? And that's kind of putting you on the spot. <laughs> is, it, is there, you know, how long before your body adapts to something like that? Any goal... So whether it's improved balance, a little bit more strength, a little bit more endurance, it really, your body kicks it in as, as soon as possible. So yeah, typically between six and eight weeks is what I tell people. You'll see a notable difference. And if you're working with a professional, they're going to do pre-tests and you're going to see a post-test after two months be like, oh my gosh, I'm so much better. Yeah. And, and so I think it depends on the professional you're working for, but it doesn't take a lot to see these changes. Right. And, you know, I guess the equivalent of like, you know, if you get like a haircut or you shave and the next day it's like, I have all this stubble and you see so much. It's like, it's really only a millimeter. And then mm. it looks like it grows less as it gets longer out, but it's that same millimeter growth. But initially it looks like so much. And so you can get a lot initially from your program just by starting. And then unfortunately there's that slow grind though. It's not about working out to lose weight or working out to get healthier or more, more balance. It is what kind of person do I have to be? What, what, who is the type of person that doesn't lose their balance? Who is the type of person that stays in good shape? Cause you know, as much as people don't like to hear it, how you are physically is a reflection of your standards. And so if someone goes to the gym, like, you know, you have these super intense CrossFitters, mm-hmm. like I am a CrossFitter and this mm-hmm. is what I must do. Like that is a reflection of their standard. You have the former athletes in college, like I need to still train like an athlete because mm-hmm. I'm an athlete. And those people that tell themselves like, oh, well, I, you know, I'm just big boned or I just carry a little extra cause it's in my family or yeah. I do whatever. It's like, it's like you're, you're setting that standard for yourself and don't get me wrong. There are genetic limitations to what people can accomplish, but there's not that limitation of that you can actually change your body for the better. Right. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, 
it's something that's important to remember too is like there there's a different conversation about whether or not you want to lose weight right right if 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 you just find how you are that's fine yep but the the reality is there's things that everybody skinny people too need to have balance yes you know well and, and that's it, looking it, at health of it right. it's, that's the there's, health of it there's more to it than just you know the appearance there's there's your balance there's your your bone density there's Ye- things that will affect you later that you can just do minor things yeah they're not very intensive right minor things one well, and just think about the things that you like to do now i i can guarantee a lot of them are physically just at least lightly um, hard to do so if people like to go out in the woods and hike you've got to be able to keep that up so once again what to be that type of person what do you have to do right and and do it yeah that's that's always the hard thing is convincing people just to make the small change yeah. they often want to make huge changes yes yeah. and they want to make these 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 massive which is fine i mean that's that's great but i think probably my experience and probably it's similar to yours is that people who make the giant changes less likely than not don't stick to it they they or don't and, and you can't i mean your body fights against you yeah yeah just little changes over time and i think that's the way to put it is a great way to put it is do the the little easy stuff that you can consistently because that is going to create like the biggest change long term. Yeah. And it's really pick things that are very easy to do. And, you know, some people will argue and say, well, it's not easy. It's like, no, it is easy, but it's easy not to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. And I think that it's, it's all about how you, you know, how you approach it. You know, and I like that, that small bit at a time. Now, nobody wants to do that. They want it, if, you know, more must be better, so faster. Yep. And I'll get to my goal faster. But, you know, if you can prevent the, you know, the situation where you can't get off the toilet, you know, or, you know, you can prevent the situation where you're, you're rolling your ankle at 29, <laughs> yep. you know, then there's certain little things you can do. Mm. And, you know, especially going back to the conversation we were having about the spinal cord injury, you know, you, I, I feel like people have a... You know, there's a privilege to having a functioning body that that doesn't get talked about as much. You no. have a functioning, active body that some people would kill for. Absolutely. So, so true. So that's always something that, that stuck with me, especially being around them as being, wow, okay, you know, you have this, you know, ability to do things that other people don't. Yeah. And the verbiage matters. It's just, it's not, I have to get out. I get to work out. Yeah. I have the opportunity to. Yeah. I yeah, it's just, you know, there's interesting challenges out there where there's programs that'll let you like rent a wheelchair for a day and you try and go through through your day. Through your day. Yeah, and just see if you can do it. And this is with functioning arms and a perfect core and trying to get through it. Right. Yeah, try and cook, see how it goes. Right. And so it's like you have every opportunity at your fingertips to do what you want with your body. Don't let it go to waste. Yeah, I think that's a good way to, to put it. So why don't you tell me um, or tell everybody how to find you on uh, your social media you can find me at bowtie fitness guy we didn't really talk about that no i I am in bowtie yes it is intentional uh and actually it's his thing (laughs) everyone here has a thing everyone has a thing right uh and you can also go to my website bowtiefitnessguy.com and the i'm also on on facebook to a a lesser extent but if you really want to interact then bowtie fitness guy um through instagram is probably the best way to go or you can go through my website and it was kind of inspired because uh, I am very scientifically motivated. I don't make claims without 
facts to back them up or research. And so if you've heard something today that you're like, oh, I don't like that. I disagree. It's like, well, you can, you can disagree, but you're going to have to disagree with the scientific community as a yeah. whole. Yeah. Uh, but I, I was a big fan of Bill Nye, the science guy growing up mm. and Bowtie Fitness Guy has kind of a same ring. So maybe me and Bill will be friends one day. Hopefully one day. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's a, uh, that's, that's always, that's, that's the look, you know, yeah. the science look for some reason was the bow tie and the, yeah. the white coat. You yeah. don't have a white coat though, so you're not taking his thing. Well, I do have a white coat. I just didn't wear it today. You didn't wear it. Yeah. You didn't go full no, that, science. Yeah, not yeah. quite. Yeah. <laughs> some people would say that's not committing. I, I would not say that. <laughs> Next time I expect the white coat. Oh, um, bring it. No, yeah, but it's good talking to you. I'm glad to have you on here. I was Thank glad you, to, yeah. Um, I was glad to catch up with you. And um, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, of course. Anytime. And we'll talk to you guys later. Sweet. Thank Bye you. Bye, guys.